We're going to continue in our study on Jesus is Lord. And today we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about the Lord of heaven and earth. That Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth. Now, as we've been studying in this series, we've, we've acknowledged that the word Lord communicates control, authority, power. Jesus, the Son, Jesus, the Savior, is Lord. He's in charge. He's the authority of our life. Now, notice, in this case, his lordship extends over heaven and earth. Now, in a summary, that is, that's creation. When it says heaven and earth, it's talking about all of creation. Jesus is the Lord. He's in charge of creation. Now, when we think back in the Gospels... We, we can imagine several moments that clarify that reality that he's in charge of creation. For example, when he confronts the storm and speaks to the wind and causes it to stop. Like that's a clear demonstration. He's Lord over creation. When he walks on the water, defying the laws of nature, he walks on the water. When he changes the molecular structure of water into wine. Like that, you you in charge of creation. Every time he does a healing, it demonstrates like he's in charge of creation. When you look at the book of Hebrews, it says that he spoke everything into existence. Like he's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's in charge of creation. And come on, y'all. He came back from the dead, right? He defied gravity ascending into heaven. Like there's a clear and present testimony that Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth. Now, admittedly, that is an easy statement for us to make. It rolls off our tongue and it aligns with what we believe about God, that he is in charge. He's in control of his creation. But listen, the ease of making that theological confession does not ease a tension that we feel at times that's expressed in this. If God is in control of creation, why is there so much chaos in the world? Like, Why are there bad things happening? Why are there hardships? Why are there unexplainable tragedies? Like if he's the Lord of heaven and earth, how do we account for natural disasters, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, tsunamis? More personally, like if God is in control, like how do we account for so much brokenness in our lives? There's broken trust, broken hearts, and broken relationships, broken marriages, broken homes, broken bodies. Like if, he, if, he's, if he's Lord of heaven and earth, if he's in charge of creation, like why is there so much chaos in life? My dear friend Tim Siegel welcomed a granddaughter into the world less than two months ago. Here's precious Maddie. She was born on January 26, and she faces some significant health challenges. She's been diagnosed with an extremely rare disease, Odu syndrome. Only about 150 people on the planet have been diagnosed with this. As Tim's daughter, Alex, sweetly summarized, she's one in a million. 
the disorder affects a lot of her inner and outer development. And y'all, we need to pray for her. Now, even right now, where you're sitting right now, I just want to invite you just to, just to quietly in your heart, just offer a prayer to the Lord. Ask the God of all grace that he might give their family the grace they need and the strength they need and the courage they need. Would you ask the Lord to help Maddie defy the odds that she might continue to grow and develop under God's gracious hand? When you see Maddie's sweet face, it's hard for us not to feel a little conflicted in our confession that he's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's in charge of creation. And yet, listen, that is absolutely true. God is in charge. And may the Holy Spirit, listen, lead us today in the direction of adopting a peace that is deep, it is settled, it is abiding, that even in the midst of all the chaos, we still have a peace in our heart. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is our shepherd and he can lead us beside still waters. May God lead us beside still waters, even in the chaos of our world. And may we find in our hearts the Lord of heaven and earth, that Jesus, listen, that Jesus, the Christ, the sovereign Lord, provides our hearts peace, even in the midst of chaos. Colossians 3.15 says this, look on the screen. Let's let the peace that comes from Christ rule in our hearts. That's what we're after today. That the peace of Christ would rule your heart peace of knowing Jesus as Lord of heaven and earth rules over you at all times and in all situations. Let's take a look at this. I want you to take your Bible and open with me to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. We're going to read through verses 16 through 31. Acts 17. One of the greatest communicators and Bible teachers of all time it's a man who lived in England in the 19th century by the name of Charles Spurgeon. He had tremendous fame. He had lots of influence. And yet he suffered with severe depression, had many other forms of anxiety. He coined the term for his emotional and mental struggles as dark nights of the soul. Dark nights of the soul. If he were alive today, I'm, I'm convinced he'd likely be on medication to help him control some of his anxiety. But in the 1800s, whenever he lived, those pharmaceuticals weren't available. And so he had to confront his sorrows spiritually. And on one occasion, he wrote about it and talked about it. And he said, when you feel so sorrowful and depressed and anxious... He said, go plunge yourself in the sea of God's immensity. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of grief and sorrow, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout dive into the greatness of God. 
And I would say to you today, we, we need it. Listen, we need a baptism. We need an immersion into the greatness of God. And that plunge for us is going to begin with this. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. In Acts chapter 17, missiologists, people who study missions, the history and practice of missions, say what we're going to read about Apostle Paul represents one of the greatest examples of mission strategy. Because Paul's going to start where people are and he's going to introduce the gospel to them based upon the questions they were already asking about life. Whenever we were in Kenya this past summer, we traveled with Sammy Marimi, who's the head of Share International. When you travel with Sammy, it's like, it's like traveling with the Apostle Paul. We went out to reach an unreached tribe, a tribe of people who had never heard the name of Jesus. And we believe, based upon what they told us, they had never seen white people before. And as we stepped into that tribe, Sammy did exactly what we're going to read the Apostle Paul did. He starts where they are, asking the people, will you just pray like your normal tribal prayer? And this is what it looked like. Now, with that gesture and cadence, they were referring to the God who lived beyond the mountain. There's a God beyond the mountain. That's, that's who we pray to. And Sammy started our meeting by saying, okay... Let me tell you about him. Now, with that example, we go now to this passage, Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them, referring to his mission partners, they'd split into two teams. He's waiting for them to catch up with him in Athens. Notice this. He was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in this city. Dating back to the fourth century before Christ, Someone wrote that you could more likely run into a god or goddess on the main street of Athens than you would a real person. That's not too far-fetched because the population of Athens at that time was 10,000 people. Archaeologists have already unearthed over 30,000 idols that date back to that time. So there's more idols than there were people in Athens. And notice that fact had Paul deeply troubled. Last week we talked about Jesus' compassion, that he felt the need of people deeply. Well, here Paul feels deeply troubled. That means to be provoked. The word meant to be aggravated or agitated. It was often used to describe the feeling you get when someone lies to you. Someone lies to you, you feel aggravated and agitated. Paul was distressed and troubled, provoked by the fact that people were being lied to by these false gods. So, verse 17. He went to the synagogue to reason with Jews and God-fearing Gentiles. He spoke daily 
in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Now notice there were two streams of thought, two philosophies that were dominant in the way people tried to process how you deal with difficulties in life. First, you have this Epicurean philosophy. And they they thought, well, you can't stop bad things from happening in life. They're going to happen. So the best that you can do is to try to cope with bad things that are happening by self-medicating and try to minimize as much pain that these things cause as possible. So they came up with that phrase, eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we're going to die. You know, life's hard, hand me another beer. Now, they, they, they believed gods existed. They just thought they're way up there and we are way down here. They're not personal and they're not in contact with our life. Stoics believe something different. They thought difficulty and disaster, it's a part of nature's rhythm, and the best way that we can learn to deal with it is by just gritting our teeth and get through it. Just roll with the punches. Stoics, too, believe that there were gods. In fact, the gods most of the time caused our troubles, but you can't rely on them to help you through your problems. You're going to have to get through it on your own. And they were fatalistic and very self-reliant. So Paul was talking to these groups of people who have learned to kind of adapt their life by either minimizing their pain through self-medication or just grit and get through it. And he presented something different to them. He presented Jesus. He presented the the, the reality of resurrection life. That the living Lord Jesus is available to have a relationship with you. And Jesus will walk with you through your life's difficulties. He will join you in the fellowship of suffering. Like he'll walk with it, through it, with you. And people heard that and they're like, what? Are you serious? They asked him, what's this babbler? Notice that term, babbler. What's this babbler talking about? The word babbler was meant as an insult. It means a seed picker. It was a reference to birds who would just kind of hop around on the ground looking for scraps of food. That was a babbler. If you go to Sonic, and I hope you do, every morning my little app on my phone, my little map app, pops up and says how many minutes it is to drive to Sonic. I got a problem, y'all. I got a problem. (laughs) But when you go to Sonic, you see birds hopping around, picking up french fries, just picking up different scraps of food. This word for babbler meant someone who just kind of picks up things randomly, thoughts, ideas, but you haven't really thought them through personally. 
You've just borrowed those ideas. You are a babbler. Today we'd say, ah, you learned that on the internet. You're a conspiracy theorist. You're a babbler. It was a tag that was meant to discredit Paul as being like a bird brain who hadn't thought things through. He's just, he's just hopping around giving you little bits and pieces of things he's heard in different places. They didn't know Paul because Paul had grown up studying their philosophies. He was raised in Judaism. Like he understood exactly what they believed. He just found something in Christ that was different from all of that. Verse 19, they took him to the high council of the city. Come tell us about this new teaching. Verse 22, so Paul standing before the council addressed him as follows, men of Athens, I noticed that you're very religious in every way for I was walking along, I saw your many shrines and one of your altars had this inscription on it to an unknown God. In other words, they had all of these memorials set up for gods all over the city. There's even one of them that says, we're sure out of all the ones we have, we haven't got them all. So the one we don't know about, I'm going to build a temple for that one. And that's the one we don't know about. And so Paul began right there. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm going to tell you about. Verse 24. He's the God who made the world and everything in it. Here we go. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. Human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. Verse 28. For in him we live and move and exist, as some of your own poets have said. We are his offspring. So here Paul quotes one of Athens' own thinkers and philosophers, but he's not one of the more popular ones. He's more obscure. This is a very obscure reference. So you have to think this way. Instead of like quoting the Beatles, Paul quotes Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs, another lesser-known group from the 60s. And there has to be this compelling thought of, like, if he knows that reference, if he knows that philosopher, then this guy must know his stuff. And so they listen. Paul presents this unknown God, and he introduces him, notice again, as the Lord of heaven and earth, the God of and in control of creation. But again... If he's the one in control of creation, why do bad things happen? Well, it's a complicated question, but there is an answer that is rather simplistic, but true. So write this down. The bad things that happen in this world are a consequence of sin. When people live apart from God's plan, bad things happen. Now, I want you to hear this. God did not set up the world to be dysfunctional. He created it perfect. He personally placed human beings in this perfect world with a warning. Like in the day you veer off of my plan, there's going to be 
consequences. And in the book of Genesis, God described it this way. You must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will, notice this, certainly die. This word, this emphasis, you will certainly die, is a double negative in Hebrew. And so if you're reading this verse in Hebrew, it's going to say, in the day you do it, dying, you will surely die. It's emphasized twice to give a warning, but also to provide a promise that living apart from God would create, listen, a cycle of bad that would reach the entire world. Theologians call it an order of death. There's now an order of death in the world. So the reason bad things can happen to you may have nothing to do with your choice. Sometimes it's simply a consequence of living in a world that's been affected by lots of people living apart from God. Diseases, disasters, crime, accidents, none of those things were God's original design. They are the consequence of sin, living in a world now under the order of death. Now, we're going to build on last week because we said when Jesus first came to earth, he prioritized the sin problem. We said even all of his miracles point us in the direction that Jesus had the authority, he had the control, the ability to forgive sins. He lived his life perfectly. He offered himself as a sacrifice. He was raised from the dead providing forgiveness and the opportunity for our hearts to get a reset. And so we said Jesus first came to deal with the greatest issue of mankind, which is the heart and our eternal destiny. See, what matters more than a tornado and its aftermath is your heart being forgiven and fit for heaven when you die, that is priority number one. We also said last week that Jesus is coming back. And this time when he comes back, he will renew his order in the earth. And so he'll wipe away every tear. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness. That's coming. That's Coming One day, all bad will be gone. But for now, but for now, bad things are going to happen. But I want you to hear this. There's no bad thing that can happen to any of us that gets the upper hand on God. He never steps back. And never feels like, man, that caught me off guard. There's never an admission of surprise or confusion or being confounded. It's not like God ever has the thought, well, I didn't see that coming. No, listen, God is still in control. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He is wise and everything he does 
is bringing together all that's happening in our life and working it together for good. He is smart and he is able. Now, I know what happens to us sometimes is we hear about something or we experience something and we might think or say something like this. Well, if I was in control, well, if I was in charge of the universe, well, honey, listen, you ain't that smart. The Bible says pretty plainly in the book of Isaiah, his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. Listen, bad things are going to happen. It's a consequence of living in a world that's been impacted by people and nature acting outside of God's plan. So when bad things happen, listen, we have to trust that God will be infinitely wise and he will take the difficult things, the unexplainable things, the chaotic things, those things that are a consequence of sin, he'll take all of that and work it together for our good and for his glory. So let me remind you, let me remind you, Psalm 139, he knows everything about your life. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. Look at that. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down or when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. Look at this. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. See, he knows your life inside and out. He uniquely understands you and how all things can be worked together for your good. He presides over your life with wisdom. Listen to this passage from Job. It says, but true wisdom, look at that, true wisdom and power are found in God. Counsel and understanding are his. I get it. Sometimes we can't make heads nor tails of the things that are happening in our life. But he is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he's still in control, and he is wise, and he is working together what happens for good. And I get it. I understand that sometimes that sounds crazy. But it's been proven over and over and over and over again that God can take some of the worst situations and cause something wonderful to occur that we might not experience if that bad thing didn't happen. Now, please hear me. That doesn't mean the bad thing stops being bad. Neither does it mean that we'll be unaffected by the pain that it causes it just means, you mark it down, that God in his time will make all things beautiful. You say, how? Because he's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's in control of creation. He has the authority to show up in the worst of times with grace and strength in our weakness. The Apostle Paul one time had a circumstance in his life he didn't like. 
And he repeatedly asked God to change it. That's something to learn right there. That we're going to go through bad situations and you always have the opportunity to take whatever you're going through and ask God to change it. You can ask him to heal the sickness. You can ask him to intervene and change the outcome of that circumstance that has you stressed out. You can always ask God to change it. And sometimes he will. Other times he wisely won't. So Paul asked, and here's what Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth, said back to him. My grace is all you need, Paul. In fact, my power, my strength actually works better in your weakness. Let me tell you what that means. That means in the normal times or the happy times, the good times of life, we might not be as aware or as receptive to the better things that God wants to do in and through our life. And so the sovereign Lord, the Lord of heaven and earth, uses hard, difficult, unexplainable, seemingly out-of-control things for our good. And so Paul takes that bit of wisdom and he aligns his heart so his heart will be at peace and says so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me our moments of weakness are no threat to God he is still the Lord of heaven and earth, and some of his greatest good and best blessing comes in moments of weakness. Verse 29. Paul says, and since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. See, God isn't under our control. He doesn't fit in any of the boxes people build for him, not even the ones we build for him. Verse 30. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. Please hear this. Repentance has as much to do with alignment as it does an apology. And for that reason, I'm going to ask every one of us today to consider repenting. I've been in church all my life. That's all right. I'm going to ask you to repent. I've never been to church before. That's all right. I'm going to ask you to repent. I'm going to ask all of us to consider repenting. Repent may mean for you that you need to make an apology to God. God, I'm sorry. Sorry for the way I've been living. I'm sorry for the things that I've been thinking. I'm sorry for the things that have come out of my mouth. Maybe repenting is apologizing for many of us. An act of repentance is about alignment. 
It's about recognizing in the midst of difficulty and hardship and tragedy that Jesus is still Lord, that he's the Lord of heaven and earth. And we choose to align our heart with the fact that Jesus is Lord and we want to receive the peace. We want to repent. We want to turn away from kind of caring for things on our own and we want to receive the peace that Jesus can give your heart today. The peace that will rule your heart even when things feel out of control in your life. Tim's daughter Alex wrote this about Maddie. She said, as you, as you can imagine, it's been, it's been a lot to process. We're excited to be bringing our baby girl home. She got home yesterday. She'll have to have a feeding tube, oxygen, along with other things to create a new normal. Yet. Yet. We can't express how much love we feel for this perfect girl of ours. Can I read that again? The love we have for this perfect girl of ours. I said, Tim, you've got to be so proud of your daughter in the manifestation of her love and her commitment to that child. He said, oh, I am. Because listen, in the darkest rooms, sometimes we see the brightest light of the Lord of heaven and earth.